0: Church family, as we come to this last week before we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day, I wonder what your Christmas light routine is. What are the ways that you take in the lights of neighborhoods? Do you have a routine as a family? Do you have a routine? Uh, I grew up with a routine. My mom would load me and my two younger brothers into a station wagon, and she would haul us around town to show us the best Christmas lights, neighborhoods that were all coordinated, and and it wasn't just any Christmas lights, it wasn't just happenstance, but it was a lot of research, and some of the earliest memories of Christmas are looking outside without phones in front of me to distract me, all I had were the lights around to be able to sort of mesmerize a five-year-old. The lights are pretty powerful. As a parent, one of the routines that Danielle and I have is on December the 23rd, sometimes Christmas Eve, we load up our boys and off we go to see the lights. And we say, look up, boys. Do you see that house right there? Do you see those lights there? Some of them are your lights. Some of them are the lights that you and your family decided that you're going to make some expense. You're going to expend some time and you're going to expend some effort. You're gonna expend a lot of familial patience. It takes a have you ever decorated your house with your family? It is a sanctifying experience. Some some unholy conversations oftentimes accompany trying to hook up the lights, and there's always a supervisor, always a supervisor that you have to please. <laughs> Thank you, choir. Thank you, choir, for that. We do have a laugh track that's right before us right there. So so uh, that's what happens when the choir has been here Friday night and Saturday. They have to come back again. They've had to hear me preach this many times. They just become delirious at the end of it right here. So. Uh, one of the great things about Christmas is, is the lights, is the lights that aren't just mere decoration. We, we, cities don't put up lights for mere decoration. I mean, it, uh, families don't put up light for mere decoration. There's there something about the light that symbolizes something that's far deeper, far more powerful. It's a light that the prophet Isaiah spoke of, 700 years before that first advent. It's a light that we can read of in his prophecy that we have in Isaiah chapter 9. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 9. A light has dawned. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read one of the most memorable prophecies in all of Scripture of the light of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ as a symbol of the light that has dawned in the person of God's own Son. Isaiah in the ninth chapter, verses one through seven, he would say, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden... Government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It was a dark time in Isaiah's day. There was a darkness of an encroaching empire that was coming upon and threatening not only Judah, the southern kingdom. But the northern kingdom, more particularly of Israel, Israel decides that they're going to take things into their own hands to prevent the Syrian army and empire from overtaking them. So they make a pact between Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria. Israel and Syria to begin to to put pressure upon the southern kingdom, the kingdom that we know as Judah. They, they desire for King Ahaz, the very king that Isaiah would speak to and prophesy to, they desire for King Ahaz to, to build an a alliance, an alliance between Judah, an alliance between Israel, and an alliance between Syria. The three of them, they begin to think, maybe can, can uh, hold off the encroaching Assyrian empire. King Ahaz receives the prophecies of Isaiah to, to take faith in a God who will be with you and will stand with you. But Ahaz did not heed Isaiah's word. Ahaz did one of the most unthinkable of things as, as Israel and Syria begin to exert pressure. So Ahaz turns to, of all people, he turns to the kings of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria takes over Israel. Assyria conquers Israel. Assyrians, and in this moment, the unthinkable happens in Jerusalem, where the Assyrian empire sets up foreign gods in the very temple of Jerusalem. Ahaz becomes a a puppet king with no power. They pay tribute to, to be under the rule of the Assyrians. It was, in every way for Ahaz, a dark time. And here Isaiah is prophesying as as Israel and Syria begin to breathe threats upon Judah. They begin to prophesy that while darkness is around you and darkness threatens to engulf you, a light will come. Now Ahaz couldn't have known this. Isaiah didn't even know the time frame. He receives the prophecy of the Lord, a prophecy that would truly be fulfilled 700 years after he writes this. We look back with 2020 clarity That the prophecy has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting in the Hebrew idiom that the majority of chapter 9 is written in the past tense. Verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. It's a light that will truly only be fulfilled to Uh, 700 years after Isaiah would write this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but God in his inspiration wanted to show that it was a fact that would be accomplished. It, It was as certain as something that had happened in the past that you could put your fingers on. This is the confidence that Isaiah wants to speak into the darkness of Ahaz and the people of God's life. Now, for us as believers, for us as Christians, there's no way for us to read Isaiah chapter 9 and leave it in the historical context of 700 BC. We read this passage, and what do we do? We see that this light has truly been fulfilled in the light of Jesus who brings hope to the hopeless. This isn't just any son who comes For to us, a child is born, verse 6 of chapter 9. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Notice the fourfold description. Not just any son, but a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It is a dark chapter in God's people's lives. But in the people of God, it is not the final chapter because there will be a child who is born. Now notice what Isaiah doesn't say. Isaiah doesn't say, And unto you will come a mighty heavenly warrior who is going to brandish a sword and is going to hurl thunderbolts at any of your enemies. No, your hope is in a child. Notice that Isaiah doesn't say, and your hope as the Assyrians encroach upon you is going to be a wise sage who's going to impart this wonderful knowledge. And if you would only heed and only hear that knowledge, so you will be saved. No, he says, your hope is in a child, but it's not just any child. No child, no matter their heritage, no matter the royalty of that child's background, no child can be called what Isaiah calls this child. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, this is only fulfilled in that child that we know as God's child. God sent his own to dwell with us so that one day we by faith can dwell with him. This is the glorious announcement of Isaiah chapter 9, and it's the glorious announcement of this fourth Sunday of Advent that God sent his own son who is the wonderful counselor. Notice in this passage here that that God's son understands us, that he hears us, that he cares for us. He didn't send a tyrant, a dictator, who would slap us into submission, but he sends a, a wonderful counselor, one who walks with us, one who listens to us. Do you know the pain of grief? So your Savior does. Do you know the pain of sorrow? So your Savior is well acquainted with sorrow. He's the wonderful counselor who walks with us, empathizes with us, and even greater news defeats the very things of sin, hell, and the grave. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. Notice that God the Father, when He sees the darkness of of your plight and my plight, that He doesn't send an emissary, He doesn't send an angelic being to be the solution to our problem. He doesn't outsource salvation, but He sends His very essence. He sends His own Son, God in the flesh. Not just God in the flesh, but mighty God. Do you remember that song that you learned? Maybe you learned it in vacation Bible school. Maybe you taught it to your kids. Our God is so big, he's so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that our God cannot do. Remember that? Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's... I heard the choir, but I need, I need you. I need you. I need, I need some help to preach here. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. Our God That's right. Oh, wow. Wow. Here we go. We got, the, we got the claps and the stomps and everything here this morning. So, yes, this is what we celebrate, that he's our wonderful counselor, but that he is our mighty God, that sin does not stand a chance against a mighty God. Hell stands no chance against a mighty God. Death stands no chance against a mighty God. Feeble, he is not. Weak, he is not. He is our mighty God. I love listening to Danielle Bell, our children's minister, pray, because when she prays, the first things that come out of her mouth is this words, as she says, our great big God. Great big God. And she's right. He is our mighty God. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our everlasting Father. This is the great mystery of the incarnation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three. Three persons, one in essence here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we say that Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. God sends his son, the very essence of God. He comes to us to dwell among us. God becomes man. The story of Advent is the mystery of the God-man among us. Love J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer is a wonderful theologian. Wrote one of the most classic books of the 20th century entitled Knowing God. I heard it said that Billy Graham said if there was one book besides the Bible that he would hold on to, forevermore it was J.I. Packer's Knowing God. A chapter on the incarnation, Packer reflects upon the very mystery of the incarnation, and he says, as you see it on the screen, it is here. In the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christmas revelation lie, the word became flesh, God became man, the divine son became a Jew, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare, and wiggle, and make noises needing to be fed, and changed, and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, Packer says, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Praise God. He is the wonderful counsel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Around us, as it was in Isaiah's time, there was discord. There was strife political. There were armies that were encroaching upon them. And what we see as the hope of all of humanity then and there is that there will be one that comes where the angels will declare peace on earth, goodwill to men. That you don't have to experience the geopolitical discord that so can engulf any nation, any country. Wars and rumors of wars. Controversy upon controversy. That's not just at a national political level, but it's at a personal level. None of us get out of this earth without that affecting all of us. None of our families exist in the Garden of Eden. As beautiful as the Christmas season is, so it brings up it brings up some of the discord and strife at times that so easily entangles any family unit. And we long, we long for true peace. We long for shalom. And what we discover is the only source of that, the only source is found in that one who is the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. This is good news in Isaiah's day, and it's good news in our day. Because darkness is around us, and darkness is within all of us. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Buenos Aires. But in Buenos Aires, you'll see there in Argentina that there, in 1960, was a prison that was built. Caceros Prison. 22 floors high, 1,500 cells. Any political threats were incarcerated in the 60s here. In this prison, it could hold at its height 2,000 prisoners. It has the distinction that this prison was built in such a way architecturally that no outside light could shine into the cells of the prisoners. To be incarcerated in this prison was to be totally engulfed in darkness. Human rights groups, immediately protested, It's no longer utilized. Much of it's been torn down. There's still remnants of it that stand. None of us in this room can begin to imagine what it was like to, to have the dehumanizing effect, to be engulfed in darkness without the light of, of the physical sunlight shining upon us. None of us can imagine that, but all of us spiritually need to understand that there is an enemy that desires to incarcerate us in the darkness of unbelief. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he would say about this enemy that in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? You see it on the screen, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The story of Advent is none of us. Have to remain in the darkness of unbelief. None of us in this sanctuary have to be overcome with the darkness of unbelief and the darkness of sin, the darkness of death. But ultimately, the good news of Advent, the good news of Christmas is John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him was life, and the light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And for each of us that are here in this sanctuary, we need to be reminded this morning that this is our testimony. That if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we at a time were blinded in unbelief, doubt, disbelief. We were in the dark spiritually. But praise God, we saw the light of salvation. Do you know the story of the great hymn writer? John Newton in the 18th century, he was a slave trader before he was captured by the light of the gospel. And Newton, in the midst of a storm at sea, with the cargo of of human lives under his purview and under his oversight, he, he felt as if he would be capsized as he calls out to God to save him physically. But it was in that place that God saved him spiritually. And he sits down years later to be able to describe in words what God had done in his life. And they're the words that we sing, they're the words that we know. It's the word of our heart. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind. But now I see. Have you been captured by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you living in the darkness of unbelief? Are you living in the darkness of your sin? Are you living in the darkness of the encroachment of the enemy that we know to be Satan himself that desires to keep you in the dark? You do not have to remain in the dark because a solution, a saving rescuer has come and he desires to shine the light of the gospel into your very heart. Call out to him today. Any of you that would call out to him, save me God from the darkness of my unbelief. Save me God from the darkness of sin. You this day will be saved. This is the power of the gospel. This is the meaning of Advent that the light of Jesus brings hope to the hopeless and the light of Jesus brings freedom to the captives. It's an interesting passage in verse 4 of chapter 9 where Isaiah speaks of the enslavement of God's people under the Assyrian Empire. And he gives them hope by saying, look back, look back, look back. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. There are two past tense references here. It wants to, Isaiah wants to, to give hope to those that are going to come under enslavement. The northern empire that's going to come under enslavement to the Assyrian Empire. The northern kingdom, one of the ways that the Assyrians would would beat their their conquered foes into submission was with a rod. They would physically beat them into submission. And God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, one day those rods are going to be shattered. And he's going to do it just as he did as he took you out of the yoke of slavery. He is saying in this reference, you remember when for almost 500 years you were captive as, as my people in Egyptian bondage? enslaved to pharaoh i brought you out through the red sea i did it then i'll do it again there's a reference here to gideon overcoming the midianites in judges six through eight he's saying god is i did it then i'll do it again so even in the midst of what really is a hopeless situation where they will physically be in bondage so god is saying this will not be the final chapter of your life Difficulty, yes, it is coming, but it is not the end. It is not the end of your story. A powerful testimony that some of you might uh, be aware of is the late John McCain's testimony. Many of you know that he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and his captors, when he was imprisoned, would tie his arms behind his back. They would loop the rope around his neck and then around his ankles, and they would pull it tight so that his head was pulled low between his knees, and he was left there each and every night in that position. McCain tells the story that a guard of his cell began at one period in his imprisonment to come into his cell. He would put his finger up to his lips to shush, to quiet McCain. And then he would loosen the ropes. There McCain would would sleep, still a prisoner, but not bound, taut, in that uncomfortable, horrendous position. Before he would leave his shift the next morning, that same guard would come in, tighten them back, lest others would see what he was doing. McCain says in his own words, this a month or so after he began doing this on Christmas Day I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw that same guard approach me he walked up he stood silently next to me not looking at me not smiling at me then he used his sandaled foot to draw a cross in the dirt McCain said that we stood wordlessly looking at the cross remembering the true light of Christmas even in in the darkness of a vietnamese prison camp and it it is a powerful testimony a powerful reminder of the light of christ that shines in the most unexpected of places here in a pow camp where a captor shows compassion to the captive through a shared belief in jesus it is a testimony of freedom that is received but it is also a testimony of the hope of ultimate freedom This still lies behind and before, excuse me, lies before those. Because in many ways, all of us can understand what this is as followers of Jesus, where we have been set free from the effects of sin, hell, and the grave. That is our ultimate destination. That is who we are in Christ. But we still know what it is to be in bondage to the sins that so easily entangle us. And there's some of us in this room that need to be reminded as God has set us free in Christ. So we will ultimately be free in his second advent, in his second coming. Because sin still entangles us. There are still threats to our freedom here. And for every person in this sanctuary here this morning that needs to have hope that your mistakes do not define you, guilt and shame do not get the last word, For anyone in this sanctuary that at times is captive to doubt or captive to your mistakes or captive to your regrets or even this morning captive to sickness or to sorrow, Advent is a time to remember and it is a time to look ahead. It is a time to remember that the light has come and it shines in the darkest of places. But it is also a time for us to look ahead And even when we walk through the darkness to understand that the darkness does not have the last word in your life, nor does it have the last word in my life, but the last word is a word of light. It is a word of hope, and it is a word of freedom. This Advent, I pray that you know the true source of light, and you know that hope and that freedom. He has a name. And his name is the name above all names. His name is Jesus. Let us pray. So God, we come to you this morning grateful. Grateful for the work that you have done. The work you are doing and the work you will do in and through the perfect obedience of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. During this Advent season, we we look back grateful for the light of all of humanity coming to shine to all who would trust, to all who would accept, to all who would turn from sin and trust in you as their Savior. We also realize that we're on a journey, and at times, darkness can continue to drive us to the captivity of despair at times. At times we feel as if darkness is overcoming the light, but we are reminded that darkness does not get the last word. So we say, come quickly Lord Jesus. We long for your second advent, your second coming, a a time where our freedom will be a freedom that knows no ends, no boundaries. Our sin that shackles us doubt and disbelief that at times enslave us they will have no power they will have no place this is our destination this is our reality as followers of Jesus so even when the circumstances around us would tempt us to believe that that is not the way we know you have made a way the way of the true light your son our savior we pray this in his name the name that is above all. All other names, the name of Jesus, amen.